Hi, welcome to the Charlotte Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message and that it both encourages and inspires you. Hello Shiloh, thanks for tuning in to church for another week. It's great to have you with us online. Um, well, today's a special day in the life of Shiloh. Uh, we did a whole bunch of baptisms in our morning service. And so if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. It was great, almost a dozen people going in the waters. And I just love it. Baptism is just one of those, one of those things I get a big kick out of because, you know, it's, um, it's kind of one of those things that you see yourself in it, right? Like if you go to someone's farewell party at work, um, you don't, unless you're leaving that job as well, you're contemplating leaving, you don't really see yourself in that. But when you go to a wedding, for example, you do. You're like, if you're married, you're like, I remember when I got married, I remember being up there and being nervous and all that kind of stuff. Or if you're not married, you look up there and you think, maybe I could be married one day. I wonder what my spouse will be like. And so you see yourself in those moments. Baptism is a bit like that. We see ourselves in those special moments, right? Um, that's one of the reasons why I like baptism. It's one of the reasons why I think it's, it's really special. It's not a service where people necessarily getting saved because they're going in the waters. Baptism is, if you're new to it, is kind of like, um, it's kind of like the engagement party. You know, you might propose to your girlfriend at the top of a mountain and nobody else is there but you two and you give her the ring and she cries and you know, all that. So when you get engaged and you have an engagement party, it doesn't make you more engaged having the engagement party. Uh, it doesn't change anything about your relationship status, but it's a way where everybody can publicly celebrate this private decision. Baptism is the same. These people aren't getting saved this morning. They're not getting a ticket to heaven. They're already going to heaven. Nothing about that changes, but it is our public way of celebrating them. However, something does shift There's this whole concept in baptism. We can see it from the New Testament all the way back through to the start of the Old Testament about people going in the water one way and coming out another way. We see that when Jesus got baptized. Jesus obviously setting the example for us and encouraging us as his disciples to go and get baptized, telling us to go and do that. So he gets baptized and we see he went in one out there, but he went out different. Some things shifted different. It's not that Jesus looked different or that he liked different kinds of food or his taste in music changed or whatever, but something around him shifted. And of course, Jesus was not the, the first guy to get baptized. His baptism was based on an earlier baptism um, by his cousin, John, John the Baptist. That was literally his nickname. He was baptizing a whole bunch of people. And even that wasn't the first kind of baptism. That links back to a Jewish tradition that we see a lot, lot sort of uh, earlier than that in the Old Testament called the mikveh. And that was a Jewish style of baptism. It's different from the Christian baptism in the sense that for them, it was a part of salvation, which we don't believe. Ours is just a, a public declaration of a private moment. But again, there's this theme, there's this thread. If you imagine like clothing stitching or quilting, there's a thread that runs from the New Testament into the Old Testament. You could go back further than that. You'll still see the same thread. If you look in the prophet Isaiah and you look at some of the things that happen in the book of Isaiah, it can again alludes to baptism. And again, it alludes to this thread that we see. And you might say, well, that's not, that's not old enough for me, Phil. I want to go back further than that. Okay, cool. Why don't we scale back and we look at the book of Joshua? We see that Joshua and the Israelites standing on one side of the Jordan River. They go in the river one way, but they come out completely different. They look the same. (laughs) They like the same foods. I don't think their taste in music changed at all, but something shifted as they went through the waters of the Jordan. And it's this same thread that we've seen throughout Scripture. 
But you could go back further again. You could look at Moses in the book of Exodus and the children of Israelites as they stood on one side of the ocean and they crossed it. They went in one way. They came out another way. This same thread is present in Scripture. You could go back further still if you really wanted. You go right back to the start, to the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. You can look at Genesis chapter 7, which is the story of Noah. And as he goes through the floodwaters, he goes in one way, he comes out another way. It's not that he looked different. It's not that his voice changed. It's not that he's tasting food or he's tasting clothes changed. That something shifted as he went through these waters. This same thread that we find in Noah, we find all the way through Scripture. And it's happened for the people that's been baptized today. But if you have been baptized, that same thread runs through your life. You just might not even realize it yet. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 7. We're going to be reading from verse 7 all the way through to verse 23. Genesis chapter 7, we're going to read verse 7 at 23. Maybe you're at home, you're visiting family members. You might be at your grandma's house and she's got a Bible. So why don't you run and grab that? Uh, you might uh, be watching this on the TV and you've got your phone in your hand. You could Google this, Genesis like the 80s rock band, chapter 7, and just scroll through till you get to verse 7. Um, but if you're watching this on the phone that normally you would be Googling on or whatever, like just chill, um, we'll chuck the scriptures on the screen so you can follow it along. Genesis chapter 7, and we're going to read from verses 7 to 23. It's a great example of a going in one way, going out another way, kind of like an extreme makeover type of thing. Um, and you'll pick up on the thread, I'm sure. It says, he went on the boat he went on board, sorry, the boat to escape the flood. He and his wife and his sons and their wives. And with them were all various kinds of animals. Those approved for eating and for sacrifice and those who were not. Along with all the birds and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. They entered the boat in pairs, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. After the seventh days, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. Pause. I'm not sure if you just picked up on that part of the thread. Something very, very interesting has happened right at the start of the story, right? Um, and it's this whole idea that even before they're finished going through the waters of the floods, right, the, the, the burden or the onus on provision shifts from their shoulders to God's shoulders. The need to provide goes from their shoulders to God's shoulders. If you're taking notes, type number one in the chat. Number one, so I know you're paying attention. God becomes the source of all provision. God becomes the source of all provision. See, prior to this, they had to provide for themselves. They had to work and provide for themselves. The need for money came from how hard they worked and how good they were at their jobs and all the rest of that, the need for health, everything else. It all came through themselves. But something shifts as they go through the floodwaters, right? God was signaling that he was now their provider in every area of their life, right? So they needed food. He provided ahead of time. They needed shelter. He drew up the plans for the ark, right? They needed rooms and spaces within that shelter. He had that sorted too. Now, I'm not sure if you've been aware of this, but our world has just gone ballistically mad. I mean, lettuce is like $20 per thing. Lettuce is now so rare, even KFC can't get it in all of their restaurants. Hello. You know, when KFC is running out of stuff, we got problems. And then there's the whole housing crisis thing where housing costs have gone up so much and it's difficult to get a rental and there's all of that kind of drama and people are stressed about that. Then everybody's talking about inflation and how inflation has risen so much that it's literally raised the cost of living in every single area. And um, then you've got things like even trying to get a car 
There's a multi-year wait for some cars. Can you believe that, right? Put an order in and it'll arrive in two or three years time, right? And then you look at the pandemic and then you look at the flu and now there's some kind of monkey disease thing that's coming and everybody's worried about that, right? It's just madness. Our world has gone completely mad. But the thing is this, if God is your source of provision, then you don't need to worry about any of that. If God is the one that you draw down provision from, then you don't need to worry about. If heaven holds your bank account, then you don't need to worry about that, right? God has more than enough for you. But not only that, he's stored up what you need ahead of time so that at the moment that you need it, bang, it's ready to go. That's what we see here with Noah, right? And that's what's true for you. Um, it, it, it's like last week in church, uh, in the building, if you were there, we prayed for a whole bunch of sick people. My uncle, Pastor Ted, was preaching and we were praying for sick people. And we saw a number of testimonies of God's healing. One of those uh, was a guy who had chronic back pain, uh, debilitating, needed a whole bunch of meds and stuff like that, instantly, radically, and totally healed. Do you know why that happened? Because he was in need of a, a healing and God had the provision for that healing stored up and ready for that moment. Bang, just drew it down from heaven's bank account, right? We prayed for people last year that needed financial breakthrough, people that were in a difficult financial position. Bang, within 24 hours, one person gets a bonus that they weren't counting on for just the amount of money that they need. Hello. Another person got a, a promotion with a pay rise that they weren't even looking for. Again, the amount they needed. Hello. And why does that happen? Because God is the source of their provision and they needed a financial breakthrough and so bang, God drew down one from heaven, right? I did an altar call last year for people wanting to buy a house. It was a weird altar call, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted to do it. Just heard a testimony the other day. One of the people that responded to that altar call um, got their loan miraculously approved and is now just buying their first house. That's pretty incredible, right? Why did that happen? Because they needed something, God had that provision and bang, God was able to provide for them, right? So the thing is about this great account in Genesis chapter 7 is that God is our provider. However, it's worth noting that we see something very odd here. God does not provide in the way that other people provide. He often provides in unusual ways. I mean, take a think about that. Animals in pairs walking on a giant boat is a little bit odd. It's a little bit strange, right? And that means you've got to accept that sometimes when God provides for you, he will do it in unusual ways. He will do it in outside the box type ways. That's how he works. He's God, right? Um, like I remember, I prayed for one person who had a heart condition, instantly disappeared. I prayed for another person who had a heart condition once and they were randomly selected, I say randomly in inverted commas, for a special type of experimental surgery that they weren't confident was going to work, but they tried it anyway. And you know what? Even though statistically it wasn't supposed to work, it did work. So in both cases, the person miraculously covered. In both cases, they've been able to go on and live normal lives, whatever that is. <laughs> um, but in both cases, it took divine intervention and God provided. But those two miracles weren't the same. They were unusual. They were different. They were strange because that's what God does, right? Um, I've seen some weird and, and wonderful financial miracles too. I've seen people who've been going for loans and that they, they, they got a loan approved by the bank that was so mind-blowing. Even the atheist broker was like, yeah, okay, I'm kind of believe that maybe there was a God and he did intervene. This is pretty weird, right? And they went and got the house they wanted. But I've also prayed for people who, yes, they've got a loan approved, but it's for such a low amount. They weren't going to be able to get anything. And they were a little bit deflated going, man, God's let us down. This is, this is depressing. What's going on? I just said, man, we just got to have faith. Let's just see what happens. So they go along and they start bidding on a house that they cannot afford. No chance they're ever going to get it, right? Throw in a stupid offer. 
Not only does the offer get accepted below market value, right? But they then actually have bought the house and they've got equity, which means they've made six figures worth of money without having to do anything. Both cases, God intervenes. Both cases, it's supernatural. Both cases, it's a miracle. And both cases, it's a little bit strange. It's a little bit odd, right? That's kind of how the Christian things work. Now, I will have to say this because no doubt someone's going to get all in a bit confused state because sometimes Christians can be a little bit funny when it comes to God's provision. They can treat God like he's some rich uncle in the sky, Uncle Pennybags just floating around, throwing money, throwing this, throwing that, and um, they don't feel like they've got a part to play in any of this. But that's actually not true. There's this uh, great um, synergy that has to happen between God and you when it comes to the provision of God. And what do I mean by that? Well, he expects you to manage what you've already got to the best of your ability, right? As you do that, and as you work on and increase your ability to manage what you have, he will increase what's actually in your ark. Like, think about this example. So we've got Noah and his family in the ark. Who fed the animals? God didn't. They did. They, Noah and his family fed the animals. Um, who cleaned the cages? God didn't clean the cages. Noah and his family cleaned the cages. Who set up the schedules for what was happening in each and every moment? God didn't do that. Noah and his family did that, right? And so what happens if they didn't do that very well? What happens if they got hungry and then just decided to binge eat because of the stress of the ark for the first couple of days? Well, they would have eaten all their provision and they would have died. <laughs> what about if... Um, maybe, uh, they decided that, you know, they were so thrilled that they survived that they were going to throw a massive feast and just eat a whole bunch of the animals. <laughs> they could have done that. But if they had had this massive feast, the world's biggest Brazilian barbecue, hello, big shout out to all our Brazilians. Um, what would have happened was they would have eaten all their provision and they probably would have died, right? So these guys and girls on the boat actually had a part to play in managing the provision that God had actually given them. So the question is, how are you going at managing what's in your ark, right? Um, so when it comes to finances, for example, do you budget properly? Do you, uh, uh, you know, seek advice on how to get better in the area of money so that you can maximize what you've got? Uh, do you live comfortably or do you spend above what you can afford and basically just live from credit card to credit card, right? Um, what about the part of your arc that's connected to health, the health of your life? Do you exercise? Do you eat well? Um, you know, if you've got a persistent issue health-wise, do you go and see a doctor about it or do you just ignore it and hope for the best? Um, what about your mental health? Are you looking after that, right? Um, uh, what about the part of your arc that's focused on your job? What do you like at work? Are you a good worker? Are you a hard worker? Do you always leave two minutes early from work because you know that the boss can't fire you for leaving two minutes early? Or do you always turn up late to your job? Is that something that you do, right? Um, are you reliable? Uh, what about the part of your arc that's focused on your marriage, right? Um, what do you like as a husband or what do you like as a wife? Uh, how much focus and, and attention are you giving uh, the married part of your life? Or what about the part of your arc that maybe stores all of your past hurts? Do you just bury all of the hurts that have happened in your past and pretend they don't exist? Or do you go and get counseling, get the help that you need to deal with those things, right? Um, I could keep going, but the point is this. It's our responsibility to deal with what is under the roof of the ark, right? God expects us to manage what he has put into our care, right? And yes, God will help you. And yes, God will guide you. And yes, God will assist us. 
but we have a responsibility to manage what's in the ark, right? And then when we manage the provision that God that God's given us, He can give us more. Because if you can't handle what you've already got, why would God curse you by giving you more than you can handle? That's not what a very good God would do. That's not what He's going to do for you, right? So if you want more in your life, in your finances, in your marriage, in whatever area, the first question you've actually got to ask God is not how much more can I have, but the first question should be, what can I do to manage what I've got better? You know, like you might say to God, Lord, I want a pay rise. Well, don't be surprised if he says something like, why don't you cut back your Uber Eats and there's your pay rise, right? God can be a bit cheeky like that. Or, you know, um, Lord, I want more friends. And then he might say to you, okay, cool. Well, why don't you be a better friend to the friends you've already got? And then maybe you'll attract some more. Or, Lord, I want you to change my spouse. And he might say, why don't you begin to love your spouse like you used to? And they'll become the spouse that you're hoping that they'll be, you know, because too often we miss out on the provision that we could get, even though it's already in the ark waiting for us because we're too busy eating it, ignoring it or mismanaging it, right? And now, if you're doing this well and you're managing what's there well, that's when you can pray and say to God, Lord, I need a miracle. And the weird and the wacky and the unusual and the strange miracles like animals coming in two by two will follow you the way that they followed Noah. Ask any Christian in church. Ask other Christians on the chat. They'll tell you they've seen God do miracles, right? He does strange and wonderful things today, right? Um, but um, it, it, a key part of that is managing what you've got, right? And that's one of the things that changes when you get baptized. God becomes the source of all provision in life. It doesn't matter what area you're lacking. God has got what you've needed. He's stored it up and ready to go, right? But it's not the only area that shifts. There's a whole thread going through scripture. That's just the first thing. The needle weaves into another part of the story, though. If you read verse 11, it says, When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. And uh, the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. So that very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. Pause. I'm not sure if you noticed this, but I did when I read this. God makes sure that Noah isn't alone. He puts him in the ark and he surrounds him with family, right? He is not alone. Number two, type number two in the chat if you're paying attention. Number two or your favorite emoji or whatever else. God strategically places family around you. God strategically places family around you. Life's tough. Come on. We all know it's true. Let's not pretend it's otherwise. Life's tough, right? And you can't do it alone. You need friends. You need colleagues. You need co-workers. And you do need a spiritual family to come around you and cheer you on and support you when life can kind of come a bit too much for you, right? We all need that. I need that. You need that. We all need that, right? So I'm looking at this verse and I'm smiling. Oh, I mean, isn't that nice? God puts Noah's family in the ark. Fantastic. How cool is that? Noah's family in the ark. They're all there. The fam's all there. Christmas dinners and Aussie Day barbecues and birthday parties and anniversary, and it just sounds all kinds of fun. Except what if it isn't fun all the time? Like God, think about this. God's put Noah's family all under the one roof. And if you ever think about your family for a second, I'm not just talking about your husband or your wife, but your extended family, your cousins, your uncles, grandmas, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, second cousins, um, 
let's be real. Are they always fun to hang out with? Would you want to live in a giant house with all of them for all the time in a confined space? Look, I don't know what your family's like, but some of my family, my extended family, is a little bit weird. (laughs) Some of them are a little bit odd. Uh, Some of them are a little bit difficult to figure out. Others rub me the wrong way. What about your family? I I bet you it's probably kind of the same, right? So this morning, we baptized a whole bunch of people, and they went through the waters, just like Noah went through the waters. Um, they weren't in a boat, though. Hallelujah for that. They didn't have to build a big boat and get laughed at by a whole lot of people. They were just able to go in and out. But the point is, they go in and out of the waters, right? And part of what's great about that is God's placing them into our care. They, we become their spiritual family, so to speak, right? Our Shiloh family. Now, if you're one of those people and you got baptized and the whole thing was a bit of a a flurry for you and you just missed the message and so you're tuning in now. I've got good news for you, right? We're your spiritual family and we're so excited that you've joined us, right? And uh, and we'll promise to love you. We'll promise to care for you. We'll promise to be there for you through thick and through thin. But you know what I can't promise? Um, you know what I can't promise? I can't promise that we're always going to be normal because some of us are a little bit oddball. <laughs> I um I can't promise that we won't ever annoy you or ever get on your nerves because some of us can be a little bit annoying at times and can be a little bit unnerving. Uh, I can't promise that we're always going to be easy to figure out because if I'm real, every single one of us has moments where we're confused even by ourselves. Uh, I, I can't promise that we won't ever rub you the wrong way or I can't even promise that no one's ever going to offend you ever because the thing is we're a family and families aren't perfect. <laughs> My family's not perfect, and if you're going to be real for a moment, your family's not perfect either, right? But you know what? That's actually one of the best things about a church family, and that's one of the reasons that God does surround us with a church family, because we're not perfect. See, when you go out there into the world, you have to be on your best behavior. You have to do your best to never make a mistake at work and never have a bad hair day and never say anything dumb on a date and never do this and never do that and never do something else. Because if you make a mistake and everybody realizes how imperfect you are and discovers the real you, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? What are they going to feel? There's all of that pressure that's on all of us all the time, but not in here, not at Shiloh, not in church, because this is family and families are imperfect. We know that, you know that, and I know that. I know you're not perfect and you know that I'm not perfect. So we don't have to have that same level of pressure. It's it's family. I know that you've got quirks that I've got to learn to look past and you know that I've got quirks that you have to learn to look past. We're family. We're not perfect and that's actually okay, right? I know that there are things about me that you wish I would change and I've probably some things about you that I wish you would change and that's okay. We're family. We're not perfect, right? Families aren't about perfection. They're about peace, love, acceptance, grace, truth, and sticking together even when life is tough, right? Because friends come and go, colleagues come and go, but families stick together, right? Are we perfect? No, but we are loving. Have we got it all together? No, but we are accepting, even if you haven't got it all together. Will we ever annoy you? Probably, but we are full of grace and truth. Um, will at times we confuse you? I hope not, but we probably will at some points confuse you. But that doesn't matter. We'll stick together anyway, right? 
We're not just a bunch of random believers that are gathered together. We're a family and families stick together. So don't feel pressured when you turn up to church to act like you've got it all together. We know you don't have it all together. Why do we know that? Because we don't have it all together either. That's okay. We're family. You can come into the house like you do come into your family home, right? Don't uh, feel the pressure to turn up and act like your whole life is just perfectly structured and figured out. We know it ain't structured and figured out perfectly. Why? Because our lives aren't structured and figured out perfectly either. We're a work in progress and you're a work in progress and that's okay because we're family and family's not perfect, right? We're family. You be you and I'll be me and I'll love you and maybe you can learn to love me too, right? See, even though I'm the senior pastor, I'm no different from you. I'm imperfect just like you're imperfect. Like um, I bleed just like you. I laugh just like you. I cry just like you. I have hopes and dreams just like you do. There are parts of my lives I'm proud to show off to other people. There are other parts of my lives where I kind of cringe a little bit when other people see it because I'm like, yeah, that bit's still a bit of a work in progress, right? Some people probably like me in this church and some people probably don't like me in this church. And that's okay. I'm not um, trying to win a popularity contest. I'm not trying to be the best at anything. I'm just trying to be me and I'm hoping that you'll just be you too. And we can just be each other. We can just be ourselves and hopefully we can just love each other. I want you to know that I love you and I accept you and I'm cheering you on. I want you to know that there are times that I will challenge you to become the person that God's called you to be, even though I do accept you the way you are. But I want to challenge you to be better, just like God's challenging me to be better, because I'm imperfect just like you. And we're all on a journey in the ark together to become the people that God's called us to be, right? And so when somebody bugs you in church, when somebody annoys you, when someone gets under your skin, right, in my experience, rather than running for the nearest exit to try to go out there and find another church, which is perfect, which, hello, does not exist because no church is perfect, I have learned to do something else. When someone gets under my nerves or rubs me the wrong way, I have learned to stop and ask myself this. What if God put that person in the ark on purpose for me? Like, what if they're there at least in part, to rub me the wrong way on purpose? What if it's less about them and more about me? So, for example, if someone keeps annoyingly stepping on your boundaries, I'm not talking about in significant ways that are harmful or whatever. I'm just talking about in little ways, annoying, you know, they pop by and visit too often or whatever, you know, and you have difficulty saying no and it really bothers you and it really starts to get under your skin, What if it's actually not about them? What if God is using them like sandpaper to smooth out some of your rough edges because he's actually wanting to challenge you on being able to be more assertive and to put your foot down and to say no and to have boundaries because God loves you so much. He wants to help elevate that area of your life. And so he stuck this family member in the boat who is kind of annoying on purpose because he sees a bigger picture in that. Or what if as you try to let your guard down and you just be a little bit more real and some of your flaws are popping out, Um, what if when somebody is challenging you on that and it's a little bit like, whoa, like, whoa, you know, and it, it really bothers you. What if rather than running for the exit, you stopped and asked yourself the question, Hey God, have you put this person in the ark on purpose? (laughs) Um, cause maybe it's more about me than it is about them. 
Because maybe God is actually wanting to draw your attention to an area of your life that he wants to challenge, a sin that he wants to deal with because it's actually holding you back from a bigger, better blessing in your life. And God is sick of seeing the enemy rob it from you. And so he puts this person in the ark, not for them, for you, to challenge you. And what if you're that person to somebody else? I don't know. What if we're all in the ark on purpose because God wants to develop a well-formed maturity in us so we can become the people that he's called us to be? Because here's a thought. God didn't put any of Noah's friends in the ark. He didn't put any of his friends at all, not even one of them, right? So he doesn't have his bestest best friend acting like he loves him all the time and, you know, just always smiling and always putting on a good show. Instead, he's put family and family is imperfect and kind of rubs us the wrong way. But maybe God has done that on purpose because it's actually God's strategy to help grow and mature us in a safe environment. Because here's the thing, you can make a mistake with family and they'll still love you and invite you to the next Christmas party. But some of the mistakes we make out there at work or in the broader community of our friends or on a first date that you won't get a second date. You might get fired from your job. You might lose that friendship. And so God's wanting, don't, doesn't want you to get fired from your job. He doesn't want you to lose that friendship. He's hoping you'll go on a second date. And so he's put you in an ark with family members to safely deal with some of the challenges in your life, the imperfections in your life, so that you can become the person he's actually called you to be. See, I've stopped trying to find the perfect church. I've even stopped trying to make the perfect church. If you're at Shiloh, you're like, what's Phil's goal as a senior pastor? It's not perfection. I don't want Shiloh to be perfect. But I do want it to be an environment that's safe for all of us to just you do you and I'll do me and we'll make some mistakes and we'll rub each other the wrong way. But God will utilize that to sharp, to, 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 to take off the sharp edges and the rough edges of our life so that when we go out in the world, we kick goals. And people will say, where did you learn to do that? And I'll say, my family. <laughs> I remember I offended this guy three weeks in a row. He probably wanted to knock me out, but he didn't. <laughs> and I started to challenge myself on the way I talk to other people. And I harnessed that area of my life. And now I'm 10 times better in my workplace and I got a promotion, right? This is family. This is imperfect, yes, but it's family. And we all need a safe place somewhere in this world, in this crazy world where we're supposed to be just so perfect, perfect Instagram photos, perfect friends, perfect in our job, perfect in this, perfect KPIs, perfect that. We all need a safe place where we're allowed to not be perfect, where you can do you and I can do me, and that actually is going to be okay. God knows this. You know this. I know this. We all know this together. And the people that got baptized today, they now know this, right? And as they've traversed the waters of baptism, God has now surrounded them with a family. But there's one more thread that runs through this scripture. One more thread that we can see in Moses. One more thread we see in Joshua. A thread we see in Isaiah. A thread we see in the uh, Mikvi. A thread we see in the baptisms of John. The thread we see in the baptisms of Jesus. A thread you see throughout the baptisms in every part of the Bible. Maybe you've picked it up. If you haven't, keep reading. It says, With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered, just as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. For 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat flooded safely to the surface. Finally, the water covered the highest mountains of the earth, rising more than 20 feet, 22 feet above the highest peak 
All the living things on earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. Everything that breathed and lived on the dry land died. God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky were all destroyed. The only the people who survived were Noah and those who lived with him in the boat. I love that line. The only people that survived were Noah and those that were with him in the boat. So God saved everybody in the boat. I thought about that for a second and I noticed one more thing. I don't know if you noticed it too. Type number three in the chat. Number three, last point, number three. God will always protect you, but not always how you'll want to be protected. God will always protect you, but not always how you'll want to be protected. So God protected them. They didn't die. They didn't get maimed. They didn't get sick. They didn't drown. They got through this, which is great. And I've been a Christian for 25 years. Some people in this chat might have been a Christian for 50 years. Others might have been a Christian for 75 years. Now, our times differ, but one thing that we've all got in common, if we've been a Christian for more than a few seconds, is we'll all be able to tell you one thing. God will protect you through the floodwaters. I guarantee that. You will be fine. But the thing is, I think we can all agree, everyone who's been a Christian a while, he will always protect you, but not always how you want to be protected. Like they were in a boat tossing and turning in the waves. They were stuck with a bunch of very stinky animals. Think about that. Have you ever been to a farm and one of those little farm stay type things and you go to pat the horse and you're like, oh, like think about the smell in that boat, right? Um, they had to deal with the devastation in the planet. And then when the, even when the whole thing was over, if you continue to read the rest of chapter seven and into verse, into chapter eight, et cetera, they have to go and rebuild society when they get out, right? So the thing is they didn't die. They weren't maimed. They weren't sick. None of them, none of them drowned. They were all a-okay. They were all fine in the boat, right? Um, they got through this. They were protected, but they weren't always comfortable. And what can happen is as Christians, sometimes we equate protection with comfort. We say that the two words are interchangeable. So really when we're saying, I want God to protect me, what we're actually often saying is, I want God to keep me comfortable. And the problem is, is I don't see that thread in Scripture, I don't see it in Noah and his family in the boat. I don't see it in Moses and the Israelites. I don't see it in Joshua and the Israelites. I don't see it in the book of Isaiah. I don't see it in the um, the converts through the uh, McVie baptism. I don't see it in the uh, John's baptisms. I don't see it in Jesus's baptism. I don't see it in anyone else in the New Testament. Comfort comes and goes. It's not that we don't get comfort. It's just not a guarantee. The guarantee is God's safety and his protection over your life, but not your comfort. It's been two years since the pandemic hit, right? God's protected you. You're still here. You're still watching this. You weren't maimed. You didn't die. The devil didn't win. You're still full of the Holy Spirit. But can we be real? Was it always comfortable in the last two years? No. Well, at least it wasn't for me right? Did you get a little seasick as your boat, the ark was tossed backwards and forwards in the waves of the pandemic? I did. Hello, give us a wave in the chat if you know what I'm talking about. But you're still here. The world didn't get the better of you. The economy didn't get the better of you. The devil didn't get the better of you. The pandemic didn't get the better of you. God protected you. He protected you in the ark. But can we just be real? Was it always comfortable? No, (laughs) it wasn't always comfortable, right? The virus didn't get the better of you. Society didn't get the better of you. Now, I'm not saying that the ride wasn't bumpy. Sure, it was bumpy. I'm not saying at times it just didn't downright stink. Of course, it downright stunk at times. I'm just saying you were always safe in the ark. 
you are still here. God protected you. Were you always comfortable? No. But were you always safe? 100% yes, right? Comfort comes and goes in life. Like when you're 18, or if you are 18, he probably just wanted a car. You didn't care what car it was. You just wanted a car. Lord, please give me a car. Let me a car, a car. And pray for people who are now young adults. They're just desperate to get a car. I need a car. I need a car. Give me a car. And so God gives them a car. Often it's a bomb or something with like a gazillion Ks on it, you know, and you pray over it every time you drive. But they're so excited. This is so comfortable. I'm not having to catch a train anymore. I'm in a car. I'm in a car. I'm in a car. And then after a while, you become a bit more successful. You might get married and have kids. And suddenly that little tiny little buzz box bomb that you had isn't good enough. And you go from comfort to discomfort. And you pray and you manage the things well. And you do all the things that God's taught you to do, right? You manage the things well. You surround yourself with a spiritual family. You allow people to challenge you. And as you do all of those things, God says, okay, cool. I'll give you a better car. He gives you a better car. And you're like, yeah, I've gone from discomfort to comfort. Actually, I technically, I went from discomfort to comfort to discomfort to comfort again. And then pretty soon you need another car and the whole cycle continues to repeat itself. You go from discomfort to comfort, discomfort to comfort, discomfort to comfort. That changes. But you know what doesn't change? You're always, always, always safe. God's got his hand on you the whole time. Crazy things might be happening outside the ark, but in the ark, you are always safe. So I can't promise that you'll always be comfortable if you're a Christian, but I can promise that you'll always be safe. I can't promise that provision's always going to come the way you want it to come, but I can promise if you manage what's in the ark, God will provide for you. I can't promise that, um, you know, every church experience you ever have is going to be fantastically wonderful, but I can promise that God will put people in the ark that will make you better because it will rub off your wrong, uh, the, the, the rough edges and the sharp edges and the other bits and pieces. And as I said before, I can promise the safety and the hand of Almighty God on you, but I can't always promise comfort. It's not that you won't get comfort. You will. It just isn't a constant. Life is sometimes uncomfortable. Ask Noah. Ask Moses. Ask Joshua. Ask Isaiah. Ask John the Baptist. Ask Jesus. And in a couple of years, you can tap the people who got baptized this morning on the shoulder and ask them, and they'll tell you comfort comes and goes but the safe hand of the Lord is on you forever. Hey, I just want to pray for people and then I'm going to wrap this service up. Maybe you're here and you know, you've never given your heart to Jesus. It's that private moment. It's that mountaintop experience, right? It doesn't matter if I'm even in the room with you. I don't need to be in the room. It's actually not about me. It's about you and Jesus. It's a private thing. It's like the wedding proposal, right? Um, and maybe you've, you've committed your life to Jesus as Lord, which means he's in charge of everything and savior, which means he forgives you for everything. Maybe you did it years ago, but in the kind of the craziness of the pandemic, you fell out of the ark. <laughs> you found yourself drowning in the ocean and you're like, this isn't good. I need Jesus as Lord and savior. Or maybe you've never done it, but if that's you, I want to pray for you because the first step, even before you get baptized is salvation. You need Jesus, right? Um, The good thing is I don't have to be there because Jesus is there. But what I'll do to help you, how about I pray a prayer and you can repeat it after me. At the end of that prayer, um, uh, you'll be a Christian and then you can go and get baptized. And what I preach today will be true for you and true for your life. So if that's you and you're like, man, I need that, either inbox us or give us a wave on the chat. Or even if you're listening to this on a podcast later on, call the office and say, hey, I made that decision. Um, but, but, but you don't even have to wait to do that to get saved. You can just repeat after me. Are you ready? Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Help me to follow you all my days. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Come on, hand claps on the chat, streaming emojis, dancing gifts, all that stuff. Hey, we're so excited that you've made the decision. We'd love you to reach out and let us know. It's the best news ever. We'd love to celebrate with you, hook you up with everything that you need, a Bible, all that kind of stuff, and let you know about our next baptism service because I believe baptism changes things. doesn't change your appearance, doesn't change your taste in food or music, but it will change your life as those three threads will attest. God bless you. Thanks for tuning into church. Next week is going to be fantastic. I can't wait for you to be there. It's our youth camp. So if you're a teenager, make sure you get along to youth camp. Also, in about five weeks time is our leadership summit. So that's for anyone who leads in any area of their life. So you might be a mom, you might be a dad, you might be a soccer coach, a school teacher, a business manager in any sphere of life, not just church leadership. We're believing that God is going to accelerate the influence because that's all that leadership is, the influence that's on your life. So jump on our website, register for that. Kids are free, teenagers are five bucks, parents are 20 bucks. And if you want to go and you can't afford it, just send us a message. We'll find a way to get you there. We don't want you to miss out. I believe God's going to do something magnificent in that week like it did last year. I love your church. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining our podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. You can connect with us at shilohchurch.com.au.